can allow the Spirit of God to minister to your hearts. But before you listen, I want you all to hear my serious caution. And I say that it's very, very serious. And the serious caution is this. I'm generally loud in my preaching, so don't be deceived thinking that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Last Friday, before this conference, I was boosted in my spirit to spend some time with my eldest son, Joy. I picked him from the school and I took him to a nearby restaurant so that we can have some father-son loving, friendly conversations. And then we spent some time in the restaurant and after that, I came to the parking lot to take my car. And then when I came to my car, I saw that the right side of my front tire of the car was completely flat, no air. And then a little later I realized that the traffic police officer, he saw that I parked my vehicle on the forbidden place and he took off air and just left. And it was raining at the time and it took me for about an hour to run here and there and fill air in the tire and then start to my home. And after about an hour, I filled the air and as I headed towards my home, and then on the way, I was just thinking about no matter how great the engine is, how good and excellent the tires are, and how good condition the car is, if there is no air in the tires, it goes nowhere. Similarly, likewise, no matter how sound our teaching may be, how great our music may be, and how melodious the songs that we sing in the church, no matter how wonderful, excellent our programs may be, and no matter how great the numbers of the church may be, if there is no biblical love in the church, it goes nowhere. There is no life in the church. As a pastor, I also critic myself as I preach this. Many pastors I have seen, including myself, especially in the early stage of my ministry, having a passion to preach, teach, do Bible studies, run programs, and do a lot of things. But there is one passion, delight, ambition, aim, vision that is greatly missing, which I'm about to share with you. What I've seen is that a sad fact is this, that to many pastors, ministry has become a profession. And we know John Piper's book very well. Brothers, we are not professionals. That is, you are paid to do certain duties and you just do it. Your job is over. And to believers, church has become a program. To pastors, church has become a profession. And to believers, church has become a program which starts Sunday, 10 a.m., and you go on time, and you sing songs, and you listen to the message, and you give some offerings, and then you leave, and go to your home, eat some biryani, and sleep. Profession to pastors, and program to believers. What is missing jewel in the churches today is love for one another. There are resources that speaks about how a pastor should love the church, there are resources that speak about how churches should love their pastors. There are resources that speak about how to love one another. 
And as I was preparing for this message, it's my general habit to do a lot of study, research. When I prepare, I couldn't find an article, I couldn't find a chapter in the book which speaks about a pastor's role in spurring, stimulating, triggering the body of Christ to love one another. I had to just lean on the scripture. As I go ahead, I just want to remind you of what the Australian New Testament scholar Leon Morris said. He said that something which should, which should give modern Christians much food for thought is the way in which the early church was characterized by love. Behold how these Christians love one another. A phrase used by a Roman pagan is hardly the comment which springs spontaneously to the lips of the detached observer nowadays. But if a manner of life was based on the New Testament picture, something like it would be inevitable. What he's saying simply is that the pagan comment that we see in the first century, behold, how these Christians love one another is not something that we naturally, spontaneously hear in these days from unbelievers. It is because churches are not a witness of loving one another. And then he challenges saying that if you really, truly, genuinely live according to the New Testament pattern of how a church should be, this testimony would be inevitable, inescapable. If you really build the church's God's way, God's word, according to the New Testament church pattern, there will be testimony about our churches. Behold how the believers in these churches love one another. Sadly, this is not a comment that we hear. And let me tell you, my dear brothers, there is no biblical church. No matter how many marks you may have in your church, if there is no mark of loving one another, it is still sick. There is no health in the church. There is no biblical church without love for one another. And I want to take you to this Thessalonian model, pastoral lessons from how Paul spurned the Thessalonian church to love one another. To give you a brief background, we see that in Acts chapter 16, Paul went to Philippi and he preached the gospel and planted the church. And then in Acts 17, we see that Paul went to Thessalonica. And for three consecutive Sabbaths, he went to the synagogue in Acts 17 and he preached the gospel in the synagogues. And we have seen first the Jews became believers. And also a considerable number of proselytes, the, the Gentile converts. They became believers. And later we also see that when Paul preached the gospel, a great number of Gentiles also became believers. We can witness this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul speaks about how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This shows that Jews, proselytes, Gentiles came to the Lord Jesus Christ and the church was planted. Paul stayed there for a couple of weeks and after that he left Thessalonica because of persecution. And then he sent Timothy. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. And when Paul went to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, Paul wrote his first letter to Thessalonians from Corinth. And Bible scholar says that after about six months, he wrote another letter to Thessalonians. And I want you all, all of us to dwell, meditate upon what 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and see 
how we as pastors can do our role in spurring the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me quickly share with you six observations that I have seen as I have read this 1 and 2 Thessalonians, which I would like to share with you. And the very first factor, the lesson, the observation that I would like to share with you about how as pastors we can spur our church to love one another. And the first one is this. Make it your delight to see the bride church love one another. If you and I would like to make our churches, see our churches as a loving community, it should be our delight. It should be our passion. It should be our aim. It should be our ambition to see our churches being conformed into a loving community. Bible expositor Warren Wearsby, this is what he said. What you delight in is what will direct your life. What you delight in is what will direct your life. If I modify that in the context of the church ministry, this is what I say to the pastors and including myself. What you delight in will direct your ministry. What you delight in is what will direct your ministry. If our delight is only preaching, we will see preaching greatly happening. If our delight is only running Sunday service effectively, that is what he will be seeing. If I delight is running Bible studies, that is what it will be seeing. And it is important that we need to preach, teach, counsel, very important. But it is also important that we should take delight and have this delight and aim and passion to see that our churches love one another. We can clearly see Paul's delight, passion to see the churches love one another in the scriptures. We can see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Just ask this question, my dear brothers. When do we give thanks? You give thanks when you are excited that you are seeing receiving something Paul is thanking God praising God because his heart is taking great delight and what is the delight that he has taking in that the faith of the people is growing and also the love for one another is increasing that was his passion to see that believers Love one another. He saw the community becoming a loving community because he made it his delight to see that churches love one another. How many pastors do you think have this aim, delight to see the churches love one another? It's not churches loving you or you loving the churches. It is seeing the churches loving one another mutually. We hardly find them. I don't want to read the scripture it is there in your notes. You can go ahead and read that. You can see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 16. We can see the same thing in Colossians 1, 3 to 4. We can see the same thing in Philemon 4 to 5. By reading these scriptures, what we can easily understand is that if anyone asks this question, Paul, what delights you the most? You know what Paul will say? Yes, there are many things he can speak. But one of the things that he can speak is this. I want to see the churches I have planted to love 
one another. If someone asks this question to you, my dear pastors, what delights you? Would this be your answer? Or if someone comes to your church and asks this question, what delights your pastor? Can our church member say that we can see the passion, the delight, the aim in our pastor that he wants to see us love one another? Can this be the testimony that our churches give us? What delights us? What is our vision? What is our passion? There is one note that I would like to give you, my dear brothers. Please listen to this carefully. The growth of church numbers without growing in love is like the growth of weeds in a lake. The growth of church numbers without growth in love for one another is like growth of weeds in a lake. This is meaningless and useless church growth. Many pastors want to see the numbers growing, not the love growing. Paul here thanking God, not for the numbers. Praise God, we need numbers. But more than that, we want to see the love growing in the already existing members. If there is no love in the already existing members, what's the point of the numbers growth? It is useless, meaningless, purposeless church growth. I know a pastor who often says this. As a pastor, more than my congregation's love for me, my greatest delight is to see them love one another. As a pastor, more than my congregation's love for me, my greatest delight is to see my congregation, my people love one another. Is this a testimony of you as a pastor? Is this a testimony of me as a pastor? The second observation that we see from pastoral lessons of Paul in spurring the bride of Christ is this. Second is this. Constantly remind the bride, church, of God's love for them manifested in the gospel of Christ. Constantly remind them of what God had done for them in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just a footnote to use, borrow the phrase from Brother Andy. That's not the point. I just mentioned in 30 seconds and I just want to go ahead. I was a hardcore Armenian who hated Calvinism, reformed understanding of soteriology to the core for 15 years. This is a scripture that converted me to have a reformed understanding of soteriology. This one scripture struck me, penetrated me, converted me. But that's not the point of what I'm going to tell you. I want to highlight the love of God. Just look at this please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4. Paul says here, For we know brothers, we know, we are certain about it beyond doubt. And what does it say? We know brothers loved by God. We know that God loves you. The salvific love of God, which is different from the common love of God, he says that we know that he loves you, that he has chosen you. How? What is the evidence? What is the proof? He says, because this is the evidence. This is the proof 
of why we know that God has chosen you, why we know that God loves you, and the evidence is that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The effect of the gospel is only manifested in the salvific love of God towards his chosen people, not to everyone. And Paul reminds them of how God loves them. Do you see that your lives have been changed by the gospel of grace? Do you see how much God loves you? And later we see that Paul saying, Lord, direct your hearts to understand the greater love of God. May the Lord guide you and reveal his love to you so that you would be engulfed in knowing how much God loves you. He's praying for the enlightenment of God's love. Why? Let me tell you people. Only when people, believers, pastors understand the immense love of God manifested in the gospel, only then they will understand the value of loving one another. We can see this confirmation by 1 John. Chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. Please follow me carefully. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now you see how he concludes. Beloved, beloved, if God so loved us, the way he sent his son... To satisfy his justice and wrath, taking your sin, taking your wrath, taking your punishment, taking your condemnation upon himself and dying, laying, shedding his blood, offering his body on the cross and rising from the dead. If God could manifest his love through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, we also ought to love one another. Brothers, let me tell you frankly. I tried to do that and I failed. You and I cannot manufacture love in people's hearts. I bet you try to do that, you will be the most disappointed person. It is only the gospel of God. The gospel of grace will transform the sinful, individualistic, selfish lives and make them loving people. What's the point to us? That's why I tell that. If we want to see our churches as loving community, we need to preach the unadulterated gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Carnal gospel produces carnal people in the church. Self-centered gospel raises self-centered people in the church. It is only the gospel that speaks about Christ undying love for people in shedding his blood for the sins of people and rising from the dead. Only that gospel changes lives to become truly born again. I'm making a very staggering statement. One of the reasons that we see our churches filled with so many people not loving one another, maybe, probably, could be that they are not born again. And maybe there is a great need that instead of expecting them to love one another, we should start preaching the unadulterated gospel of the Lord so that they would be born again because only those who are born of God will be born in love. We must preach the gospel. And those who are saved, they need to be constantly reminded. You need that reminder, people. 
Don't think that we go beyond the gospel. You and I will never be graduated from the gospel. We are always students of the gospel. We are always being trained on the gospel to understand the great riches of God manifested in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ourselves need that enlightenment. Maybe if we don't have a delight and vision for the church to become a loving community, maybe we ourselves are blinded to the love of God manifested in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People cannot love one another if they don't understand God's love for them manifested in the gospel. The gospel is the foundation of, for believers to love one another. One prime reason for lack of love in the church is lack of understanding of the gospel. Lack of understanding of the gospel. The third observation. The third observation in spurring our role in spurring the body to love one another is this. The third lesson that we learn from Paul is this. If you and I want to see our churches love one another, we must be an example of love to the bride, to the body of Christ. What I mean to say is, if you and I want to see church people loving one another, we must first learn to love them and show them what love looks like. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Please observe, observe this carefully. May the love, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. How? As we do for you. How bold Paul could say that. Our love for you is abounding, Thessalonians. We love you so much. And we want to see the way we love you. We want you to love one another. I don't know how many pastors are bold enough to stand before the church and say that. Church, I love you so much. I love you increasingly. I love you to the core of my being. Could you please love one another the way I love you? It reminds me of the Lord Jesus' word himself. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Pastor's love is a great, great, great model to believers to love one another. How it is manifested? Yesterday we see, we have seen that. Brother uh, Arvind has done a great job in exposing to us 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 8. He says that, we loved you like a nursing mother. Observe, brothers, he doesn't say, I loved you like a nurse. Nurse do care, patients in the hospital, but for what? Give me money and I'll care for you. If you don't give me money, I have no love for you. Paul didn't care Thessalonians like a nurse, but like a nursing mother. Like a mother he was to the church, to the body, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 8. Like a father. He was not a professional. He was like a father. Like a mother. Being an example of love to the people. Pastors. Love for the church. Is a great example and motivation to believers. To love one another. Unloving pastors. Listen to this my dear brothers. I speak to myself and to you very boldly. Unloving pastors cannot produce a loving church. Unloving 
pastors cannot produce a loving church. One reason could be, maybe, possibly, why churches are not loving one another because pastors are more like professionals rather than as loving shepherds in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe before they need to change, maybe it is time for you to change. Time for me to change. Time for us to change. Maybe we are functioning more in a way, in an unloving way, and the church is not knowing how to love one another because they don't see their pastors loving one another. Elders loving one another. Elders loving the church. Maybe it is time for us to change. To see our churches changing. I lately realized how much this is so, so important. You know, honestly telling my dear brothers, I cannot say that I love my church so abundantly. I still need to grow in that. And there is a great lack in me. And I still struggle to love my church. But whenever I love them, this is what I often tell to my people. If you are really grateful to the love that I have shown to you, you make me happy. You show your gratitude by loving one another. Go and do that for other believers in the church. I would be more delighted than simply being excited how much my pastor loves me. And I didn't know this effect on the people until recently a young brother ministered to some of the people in the church and I thanked him and I appreciated him and this is what he said to me. He said to me that, but I always remember your words, Anna. It's not a gunda. Anna means it's an elder brother. You say the greatest appreciation you can give us when we serve you is when you love and serve one another. I thank God that my people got it. The greatest motivation to believers to love one another is pastor's love for the church. The fourth lesson. The fourth lesson. I know that there is not a single prayerless pastor in this place. I know that there are pastors praying here, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit when I preach. I know that there are pastors who may, be grow, who may be praying, Lord, bless our church. Let our church grow. Let our church multiply. I know that there may be pastors praying here to see something great, amazing, spectacular, extraordinary happening in our church. But I wonder how many people are praying consistently, fervently, pouring their hearts. Lord, pour out your love in our church to love one another. The fourth observation is that pray for the bride church to grow in their love for one another. And that's what we see. Paul offering prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Prayer offered. I'll show you actually how we offered the prayer. And in the 2 Thessalonians, how we thank the Lord for answering the prayer. Here is the prayer offered. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Why is Paul praying to God? Because he knew that he cannot change people. Pastors, listen to this carefully. And I had to learn this hard lesson. You and I cannot change anyone in the church. It is not in the skill of a man. It is not in the knowledge of a man. It is not in the ability of a man to change anyone. In fact, let me tell you even more a staggering truth is that you and I cannot change ourselves. What about love changing others? What about changing the church? That's why we need to come to that secret place 
and cry out to the Lord, Lord, I can't do that, Lord. It's not in my hands. I'm frustrated. I'm burdened. I'm seeing, but nothing is happening. But I know that you are the God of revival. You are the God who can change. And you promised in the new covenant that I will write my law on the people's hearts. And you have the power to make an Ethiopian, an American. You have the power to remove the spots on the leopard. You have the power, those who are accustomed to evil, to become saints and loving people of God. A.W. Pink. This is what he said about love. Most of the people misconstrue, misunderstand natural affability and temperamental geniality for love. Don't be confused with this. What he simply says is that many people confuse love with friendly mannerism. Just shake hand. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. Oh. Is that love? He says that's not. A hearty handshake, a warm welcome may be practiced all the World's Clubs. They didn't need to come to church to shake their hands. We can see that in the World's Clubs and social centers where Christ is not even professed. The love for which the apostle here prayed was a holy, spiritual and supernatural love. This is a love we need. This is a love for which we need to cry out. And I ask you, my dear brothers, honestly, 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 may I request you one thing. Can I ask you to just raise up your right hand? Right hand, all of you. And just keep it on your heart. And ask this question to yourself. Am I fervently, constantly praying for my church to grow in love for one another? What does your answer? What does your heart answer you? Just think about this. Am I fervently praying? Lord, pour out your love. I want to see selfish life becoming wonderful, loving lives. Prayer answered. You see that in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You see that in 1 Thessalonians he prayed that it should increase and he is thanking God here, increasing. Because this is a prayer that delights the heart of God. Because this is a prayer that is according to the will of God. Because this is a prayer the Spirit delights in to bring transformation in the people. When pastors fall on their knees, pour out their hearts, crying to God, Lord, pour out your love in our church. For we are selfish and we need to change. You see the same thing in Philippians 1.9. You can read that later. And how Paul is praying here that your love for one another abound more and more. Where do we see such pastors in the churches today? They pray that, Lord, help me to preach well. Well and good. They spend time even. I pray, Lord, fill me with your power. All the spirituality will be elevated when it comes to Sunday preaching. But what happens from Monday to Saturday, Lord? Pour out your love in the hearts of my people so that they would become a loving community. We hardly find that. Hardly find. Fifth. Last two. The fifth observation that we see how pastors can spur the church to love one another is this. Teach. Teach the bride, church, the importance of loving one another. Teach the importance 
of loving one another. And this is what we see. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 to 10, Paul says that, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, listen to this, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. Don't ever be satisfied that you are a loving person. Grow. Grow in that. Abound in that. Increase in that. And how strongly we see that in the letters of Paul telling people that love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And that is what he was urging all the time to believers. We urge you. We urge you. We urge you. People, pastors, preachers, teachers, is this what we emphasize to the church? Is this what we teach to the church? Love one another. That is what the church is. God didn't tell that, go to church. He told us to be a loving church. Is this what we emphasize in our teaching? As I was thinking about this, I have seen that in every letter of Paul to the churches, he was mentioning about love. Not a single letter that you can see in the letters of Paul without writing about love. Let me quickly go through it. Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. 1 Corinthians 13 Entire description about the characteristics of love. 2 Corinthians 2.8 So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Galatians 5.13-14 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Philippians 1.9 And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Colossians 3.14 And above all this put on love which binds them everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one despise you for your youth but set the, ex set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 2 Thessalonians 2 Timothy 1.13 Follow the pattern of sound words that you have learned from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Titus 2.2 All the men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Philemon 4-5 I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And for those who believe the book of Hebrews is written by Paul which I don't believe. If you believe that Again, we see in Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. How often do we ask our believers, teach them, personally ask them, hey, come on, tell me, how are you loving in the church? How are you a loving member in the church? This is what I have learned in the church. When I meet people, talk to people, counsel people at the end or somewhere, I keep asking them, how are you loving this Ecclesia Evangelical Fellowship? A very convicting question. We cannot force it, but just ask them. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Teach them and trust in the power, life-changing word of the living God. Is this what we teach and emphasize in the church as Paul taught and emphasized to the churches. 
the final one, the sixth observation is this. Provide practical guidelines and create opportunities for the bride, church to practice loving one another. Provide practical guidelines and create opportunities for the bride church to love one another. After mentioning in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13 about how to treat local church pastors. First he mentions about how the church should treat the local church pastors in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. The reason I'm quoting this is because, observe here, he was writing to the church, first about how to treat your local church pastors. And then you see what he says to the believers, to the church, about how they can minister to fellow members in the church, which I see them as expressions of love. If believers truly love one another, this is what they would be doing. What is that? Then he goes further. After mentioning about how to treat local church pastors, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 15, this is what he says. And we urge you, remember what we listened yesterday. We urge you, brothers, what to do? There are five things that he mentions here. The first one that he says about it, admonish the idle. Admonish them. The irresponsible people, the people who are not disciplined, the people who are not orderly in their lives, admonish them. Secondly, encourage the faint-hearted, those who are discouraged, those who are depressed, those who are worried, those who are anxious, those who lack faith, those who are fearful, those who are sad. Encourage them. Encouragement means nothing but putting courage in them so that they would be strong in their faiths. Third, Help the weak. Help the weak. And this weak could be moral temptation that they may be facing. It involves maybe spiritual shortcomings. Or could be also physical weakness or sickness. Or an economical need. Whatever that weakness may be. Paul says that help them. Because these are the characteristics of love. Fourth, be patient with them all. Patience is so important as you do that. With them. Who are them? To the idle, to the faint-hearted, and to the weak. Be patient with them because without patience, there is no fruit of your labor. And then in fifth, finally, what he says is this, which is very interesting. See that. Observe the word. See that. In other words, make sure, make sure that no one, no one repays anyone evil for evil. This is the third person he's speaking about. In the church, God, if someone is hurting one another and try to repay one another, make sure that this is not what is happening in the church. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What he speaks over here is manifest grace and guard the unity of the church. So he speaks about admonishment. He speaks about encouragement. He speaks about helping. He speaks about patience. And he speaks about being gracious and guarding the unity of the spirit. Now my question is this. Who should do all these things? 
Who should be admonishing the idle? Who should be encouraging the faint-hearted? Who should be helping the weak? Who should be seeing that no one repays evil for evil, but be gracious? In the context here, who should be doing that? Who should be doing that? Pastors, right? He's speaking to pastors here actually. Isn't it? Are you sure? If you are really sure, who is doing this in your church? If you, you and I are really sure this is what people should be doing in the church, who would be seeing this? You go to any church and ask, who admonishes the idol? Quote, pastor. Who helps the weak? Quote, pastor. Who encourages the faint hearted? Quote, pastor. Who is patient towards all? Quote, pastor. Who sees that the church is living in unity? Quote, pastor. The early church was God's ministering people to one another. The New Testament church is a church that ministers to one another. When there is love flooding, flourishing in the body of Christ, this is what we see the members of the church doing that. No one, my dear pastors, God has given us a command, you encourage all the time, you be patient all the time, you help all the time, you admonish all the time, you make sure that you will guard in the spirit, the unity of the spirit all the time. Nowhere in the word of God is it. It encourages that pastors should be doing this all the time. Sadly, as we are living in an outsourcing companies, a lot of believers have outsourced their responsibilities to pastors, and pastors enjoy doing the, the ministry of all the believers in the church. Rather than, as Ephesians 4.11 says, God has raised pastors to equip the church for ministry. Instead of equipping, training, coaching people how to counsel one another, how to admonish one another, how to help one another, instead of training believers, many of our pastors, sadly, have made believers as objects of our ministry rather than equipping them, coaching them, training them as instruments of ministry. Are believers in our churches living as objects of our ministry, my dear pastors? Or are you seeing them as mighty weapons and instruments of the Almighty God? Are you really practicing priesthood of all believers by equipping the church, training them, and giving them the experience to see that this every member ministry is practiced in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Long before I remember seeing a title, I don't agree that it's true of all pastors, true of all churches. But there is an element of truth in that. You know what is the title? Pastor, a thief of every member ministry. Pastor, a thief of every member ministry. Instead of pastors seeing that, we need to equip my believers to minister to one another. We take delight. I don't know about here, about you people, but here in our, in our churches here, after Sunday service, some of the Telugu pastors are here and you know that. After the Sunday service, there will be a huge line of, of people, believers. And they will be asking pastors to pray for them. And pastors take delight in all the attention that they are getting in the churches. 
instead of telling them that my prayers are not more powerful than you, instead of telling them that you can have direct access to God, you don't need a mediator of pastorhood, instead of telling them that even that believer can pray for you, calling another believer, hey believer, brother, can you come and pray for this person because he's not feeling well, let him pray for you. Instead of creating this atmosphere, they are creating a high priesthood ministry of pastorhood in the priesthood of all believers. I agree with Martin Luther. There is no special priesthood in the priesthood of all believers. You know why many pastors are burned out? You know why? Because they are doing the ministry of every member in the church, which they are not supposed to do. Brothers, if you are doing all the job, not training your believers, you are burning yourself to death out of pastoral ministry. Don't go to God and ask him for strength. It is our foolishness. We should change our ministry style. We need to change the way we are doing ministry in the churches. And asking God, Lord, let me equip my church. Let there be counselors rising from our church. Let there be teachers rising from our church. Let there be instructors of one another rising from our church. Let there be helpers rising from our church. Lord, you raise and give me the wisdom and grace how to coach my people. When we take um, membership, I would don't like to use the word interview because that looks very formal. And some people don't like that. So I would like to use the word elders discussion with the prospective members. So when we have this, uh, even last Sunday, we were having this elder, elders discussion with the prospective members. We were telling that, Brother, sister, let me tell you frankly, there is one ministry that we don't have in Ecclesia Evangelical Fellowship. And they are wondering, what is that? You know what is that? You cannot have sitting ministry in this church. There is no gift of nicely gluing one's butts to the chairs and pews in the church buildings. There is no such ministry. They are called to be active members in the body of Christ who admonish one another, who help one another, who encourage one another, who is patient with one another. And if someone is gossiping, some trouble has happened, they are peacemakers. They are peacemakers in the churches. And that's the kind of the church God is expecting to become. And my dear brothers, let me tell you, you and I as pastors have a powerful, vital significant role to play in our local churches to see our believers churches being conformed to a loving community of the Lord Jesus Christ or else we have a stricter accountability to give unto God that we made them a passive community rather than an active community of the Lord Jesus Christ and one of my greatest delights is brothers is to see, I don't say that our church is better. There are lots of weaknesses. There are lots of failures. So many imperfections that are prevailing in our church, which we are struggling to deal with. But I also say at the same time, what a great delight it is when I see what I am reading happening to some extent in our church. Where believers help one another. Where believers pray for one another. Where believers go and minister to one another. We don't do all the ministry in the church. 
We outsource some of our ministry to the believers also. If you would like to use the word that they have outsourced their ministry to us. Recently, I was talking to some of the people and this is what I have said this in our church when someone was not well. In the churches today, when something serious happens, when a believer gets admitted in the hospital generally, it is the pastors alone who feel responsible to visit and pray for them. I was glad to see so, so, so names I mentioned. And I told that there may be others also. Caring for one another is a responsibility of the whole church and not just of pastors. Ecclesia is a good example of this. And as a pastor, nothing brings me joy like seeing my people love one another. More than my preaching, more than my teaching. Yes, I'm excited when I preach and teach. But my greatest delight is to see the fruit of my labor in the believers, in the body of Christ, that they love one another. May God continue to pour out his love in our hearts. Brothers, let's leave this place tomorrow. Yes, be a powerful preacher. Yes, be a powerful teacher. Be a powerful counselor. Be powerful, powerful, powerful in whatever things you want to be powerful. But I also say to you, say to myself, let's also be powerful in spurring the body of Christ to love one another. And we have a great role to play in that. Let me just recap what I have shared with you. First, make it your delight to see the bride, church, love one another based on 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Second, Remind bright church of God's love for them manifested in the gospel of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 Third, be an example of love to the bright church. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 Fourth, pray for the bright church to grow in the love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 Fifth, teach the bright church the importance of loving one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9-10 Sixth, provide practical guidelines and create opportunities to the bright church to practice Loving one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 15. May the Lord give us the grace to help us to live like Paul in impacting our local churches. Shall we all rise to our feet and pray together?